surprise, surprise. I was out this morning and then, so a bunch of us, about 25 of us, went down to Florida for the Exponential Conference. And there was a good five or six people that got sick, including my spouse, who was supposed to be preaching tonight. So he sends me a text this morning when I'm out and about, and all I saw were his notes come through. And I was like, no! (laughs) And then I went grocery shopping, I spent time with the kids, and at about three o'clock today, I got a chance to look at his notes. So this is like, preach by fire. This happened to me one other time before, but I had 24 hours notice. This time I get three and a half. So God is good. God's got this. God's got this, right? Awesome. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that we get the opportunity to come and to just freely worship you. Father God, we ask for your anointing in this place tonight. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to take over in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we are starting a new series called More. And this is something that God placed on Jason's heart a few weeks ago. We had another series ready to go. And God said, this instead. So he has, God has been uh, just dropping some thoughts into his heart about that there is more. There is more for your life. There is more for your family. There is more for your relationships. There is more for your finance. There is more for you. And so he's going to take us through the next several weeks on what it means to have more in Jesus. So it's just going to be a great few weeks. And we would encourage you to invite your friends and your family out to that, especially as we gear up for Easter. And don't be ashamed. Shameless plug. At Christmas, I ran into um, the grocer that, that I have, and he's my fruit guy. And, he's, oh, and whenever he sees me, he's like, what do you need? And I just give him a little list, and he goes into the back, and he brings me the freshest stuff. And I told him, I said, well, you're a good Catholic, right? He goes, yeah. I said, you going to church? He just looks at me, and he got all flushed. I said, come on, Carm. If you're a good Catholic, you got to go to church. <laughs> And I said, come with me, come with me. And he's like, one of these days I will come. And I'm telling you, I'm holding him to that. How many of you know a guy named Jacob Atem? Neither did I till this afternoon. <laughs> Jacob Atem, listen to his story. There was a militia that attacked the South Sudan town. He was six years old when his parents and his siblings and most of his family were killed. He happened to be out in a field tending to some goats. And all he could hear were screams and shots. And as he turned around, all he saw was plumes of smoke. And he could see people trying to run, and as they were running, were being gunned down. Him and his cousin were the only two that he knows of that survived. And they decided it was time for them to take a thousand-mile journey to Ethiopia. They would take turns sleeping. They would have to sleep during the day, low to the ground, so they wouldn't be found by the militia that was all throughout that region. And they would take turns sleeping because somebody had to be on lion watch. And at night, they would travel. He says that many times they had to run from lions and other prey that were trying to get them. And there was times they also had to swim across alligator-infested rivers and waters. He finally made it to Ethiopia, 
And he, that was six years old when he was there, and he lived in refugee camp after refugee camp for many years, almost 10 years. And by the age of, nine, by the age of 15, the U.S. government decided they would bring home some of the lost boys. And he was adopted at the age of 15 by a family. He was able to go to school and recently went to university. One of the things that he saw when he was in Ethiopia was that there was, the medical care was atrocious. And he had vowed that he would do whatever he could to make sure that his people would get the medical care that, he need, that they needed. So in 2012, before he was even a physician, he opened up a medical clinic. You can see him on GoFundMe, actually, as he tries to raise funds for his little clinic. And now, and I believe it was just last year, the spring of last year, he became a physician. And his goal is to go back and to bring as much medical aid and professionalism that he can to his little makeshift clinic in that small remote place of Ethiopia. One surrendered life can make a huge impact. When we say yes to God, many things can happen. But when we say yes to God, even in our pain, great things can happen. We need to learn a lesson that when stuff happens to us, because stuff will happen, that we learn to not get stuck in our pain, but we learn to move through it into the destiny that God has for us. I read somewhere recently where it said, the situations of life are meant to be lessons and seasons, not a life sentence. How many of us are living with a life sentence from something that was meant just to teach us a lesson and to make us more powerful in him? But we settle in that area of pain. But I want to tell you today, no matter what you have been through, there is purpose for your pain. There is more than what is meets the eye. If Jacob took all that happened to him and just settled in his pain, if he had just accepted that as his life sentence and refused to have that tenacity to say, well, I'm going to go on and make something great of myself. I'm going to help the people of my land. If he never did, he probably would have died in the field. But there was purpose deep within him that God started to stir. And our heart over the next few weeks is that God would stir his purpose and his plan that is within you. And that if the situations of life have come and have tried to put a wet blanket on the fire of God in your life and on the dreams that God has for you, on his purposes and plans, our heart is that over the next few weeks, you're willing to strip off that wet blanket and say, God, if you have more for me, then I want it. Amen? Come on, there is more for you than what you're experiencing. James 1 verse 12 says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Persevere under trial and stand the test, because you will receive a crown of life. We just celebrated Billy Graham's life yesterday, right? He was laid to rest. And even though there was sadness and tears, it wasn't because, oh, he's dead. It's because we lost a mighty man of God who no matter what his past had, and he had a past, no one's life is perfect. He was able to push through and impact millions 
of lives. When I heard that he had passed away, I just sat there and I thought, holy smokes, can you imagine the sound of the applause of heaven as he entered in to the throne room of God? Can you imagine the eruption of cheers from people who he led to the Lord, who must have been screaming and shouting, thank you for saying yes. Thank you for answering the call. And my question to you tonight is, who is waiting for you? On the other side of your pain, on the other side of your bad situations and bad luck, On the opposite side, who is waiting for you? Who is waiting for you to share your story of resilience and dedication and perseverance? Who's waiting for you that would say, if I did it, so can you by the power of Jesus Christ? Who is waiting for you just beyond your breakthrough? Romans 5, 3 to 5 says, We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope in salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us. Because he has given us his Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Problems and trials rejoice because they develop endurance. They produce strength. They produce confident hope. And it will not lead to disappointment. I'm probably going to drink a lot tonight. <laughs> yeah, cotton mouth. Count it all joy. When hard times and trials come, when something happens, can I just say this? Okay, so away from his notes, but that's okay, right? (laughs) When hardships come, because they will, you have a choice to respond this way with joy, with confident hope, or you can choose to be negative about it. Woe is me. This is so hard. I don't know if I can do it. And I feel like sometimes when those hard times come, we insult God. We insult his ability and his strength and his power. When we align our thoughts with the thoughts of the enemy that say, greater is he that is in the world than he that's within us, versus greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Why do we insult his power? I'm not inviting the enemy to attack my life. I don't want that. I know he's powerful. I know that. I know he's been given reign over this world. I know that. I don't want him to be made out to be this huge, powerful person, but he does have power. He is a powerful person. But my God is more powerful than him. So when he chooses to attack me, it's like, okay, great. Is that the best you got? Okay, great. Because guess what? My God is greater. My God is able to do far more than you could ever. He hems me in, the Bible says. 
He goes before me. He's my refuge. Remember a few weeks ago, we talked about the, the uh, armor of God and how he just hems you in and he's got you covered up and down front and back. So why do we just cower back when those situations come? Let's not insult God's power. Sorry. God's plan for your pain. Number one. We don't like pain because it hurts. We don't like disappointments or lost or loss, but perhaps there is a whole new you on the other side of that pain. This verse doesn't make sense to us where we say rejoice when we run into problems and trials. And this was the apostle Paul that was that was writing it. And could it be that Paul, the writer, had already gone through trials and disappointments and had seen amazing ways in which God uses them? for our growth, development, character, and perseverance. Over a hundred verses in the Bible describe Paul's obstacles of suffering. Over one hundred. That's a lot. We might be able to sit down and come up with a page. He has a hundred verses that talk about it, from shipwreck to snake bites to imprisonments to beatings to stoning to sickness to lack. All of these things were coming at him. And yet he can still say rejoice when those hard times come because it's an opportunity for God to become great and for for your life to leave a legacy behind you. What you go through, you can either choose to wallow in. Can I take this off? It's bothering me. Sorry, my head was getting in the way. (laughs) Right? So if he can say, count it all joy, don't you think we should stop and pay attention? He had one of the greatest impacts on the church than anyone else. Jesus, the Apostle Paul. Right? One of the greatest impact, yet he considered it... um, why, so why did he keep going? Why do you think he kept going? He could have stopped at the snake bites. He could have stopped at the more than one shipwreck. He could have taken that as a sign to say, oh, Jesus doesn't want me to go. I'm, I'm going to take that as a sign. Hardship is not a sign that God says no. Sometimes hardship is a sign for you to press on because what is on the other side of you pressing on is going to bring freedom to you and freedom to many others. Sometimes you need to toughen up, buttercup, and just get going, right? Sometimes it is the enemy just opposing you because he knows what lies on the other side. So when hardships come, let's count it all joy and shift our focus from, oh, the devil's so bad to how great God is that he would allow me to go through such such persecution. He would allow me to go through such hardships so that I can stand strong and say, because of God, because of God, So let's not wallow in that pain, but find purpose in that pain. Why do you think he kept going? This is the Apostle Paul. Why do you think he kept going? I believe that it is because the cause gripped his heart. And he understood what he was being saved into and what he was being saved from. When we get saved, we're not just saved from hell. 
We're not just saved from our sin. We're not just saved from our past, but we are saved into a great calling that God has for you and me. We are saved into the kingdom of God, into the most mighty army that has ever existed. We are called to partner with God and we are saved into something awesome. And I believe that is what gripped the apostle Paul's heart is he knew what he had been saved from. He was the one going around killing Christians and he was glad to be saved from that and to have freedom from his sin, freedom from his hatred. But he was also saved into being one of the greatest men that walked the face of the earth that changed church as we know it. You are being saved into something. But if you allow pain and suffering and disappointments to layer a brick upon brick upon brick, you will not get past the wall of your pain. But just on the other side, there's something awesome waiting for you. Peter and Paul persevered through hardships and opposition to get the church established in the Roman Empire, which led to a worldwide movement. Both were martyred for their faith, but will go down in history as two of the most influential expanders of the, king, of the gospel message in history. So when, he, when Paul speaks out about perseverance and character development and the growing hope that we have, we need to pay attention. The biggest mistake you and I can make is to run from adversity. Persevere and let your character be shaped. Amen? Amen. You guys are so good to bear with me. God has amazing plans for your life, but it will require you to overcome the pain you're going through right now. God did not die just for you to live and survive, but he died for you to live and thrive. To thrive. You know you can still thrive in hardships? I love it when I get to walk beside other men and women of God and hear their stories and you hear of some of the low times in their life and how, you know, they were just under attack and things were going wrong and it just didn't seem like they were going to get breakthrough, but they kept moving forward. And from the outside looking in, you would never know that something was going on. And people would say, well, they're just fake. I contend with you that they were men and women of faith, believing that on the other side, as long as they persevered through, that they would see great things happen. You know, there's that saying that says, fake it till you make it. I heard it said and corrected, which I think is great, as faith it till you make it. Praise God. God's power is present in your pain. In your season of pain, God offers you this. A, he offers you hope. 
Jeremiah 29, 11 says, for I know the plans I have for you. And it doesn't just say, says the Lord. It says, declares the Lord. Almost like he's trying to shake you up, right? I know the plans I have for you. They're good. They're a purpose of hope and a good future. I know the plans I have for you. He's declaring it over your life. He wants you to hear it loud and clear because he offers you hope even in something that would seem completely hopeless. He offers us grace. Thank God for grace. 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9 says, My grace is all you need. And my power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses. So the power of Christ can work through me. His grace is sufficient. More than enough. Come on. His grace is more than enough. Someone can say, oh, well, you really suck at that. Great. More room for God to get the glory. You really need to improve on that. I know. Thanks for pointing that out. But it's another place where God can show himself strong. Come on. We're our worst critics sometimes. We're the ones saying that to ourselves, right? How dare you think you can pull that one off? Because of blah, 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 blah. Doesn't matter. Where I'm weak, God is strong. It is not my ability, but God's ability. Right? He offers us comfort. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3 to 6. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance and the same sufferings we suffer. There's a lot in there. There is a lot in there. But he comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble, with the comfort we have received. I remember two things. I remember when the diagnosis came that I had cancer when I was pregnant with Francesca. I remember in that moment crying, and then very quickly thereafter, like within all, I will be generous in my time frame, but within minutes, I was confessing a scripture that God had spoken over my life months prior. And I didn't know what this scripture meant at the time. But I remember God saying, you need this. Put it on the shelf. And so I just knew in that moment when Joanne said, look, the doctor called. And they gave me the diagnosis. I remember, you know, pulling that scripture off and saying, no, my enemies will make peace with me. And I knew in that moment that that's what it was. But I still cried. I went home and I cried. And I remember laying on the couch and Jason was sitting down and my head was in his lap. 
And I remember just the comfort he gave me and him speaking and praying over me. Mary, it's going to be okay. Don't forget what God has spoken to you. Your enemies will make peace with you. And he would just sit there and pray and speak in tongues over me as I laid there and I bawled my face off. I knew what God said, but I needed somebody to remind me. And when you go through difficulties and hard situations, you can be that person that the scriptures talk about where you can offer the same comfort that has been given to you. I remember then when my mom passed away, and this is now probably eight years after that, I'm starting to lose my voice. Oh boy. <sighs> About eight years after that, I remember a friend of ours, um, her parents were in a tragic accident. Her father was killed on the spot and her mother was never the same. And we didn't know if her mom was going to make it or not. And I remember getting a call very early in the morning and, you know, she was calling and saying, actually, I think it was the police actually that called and said that we had been requested at the hospital. So we packed up everything and we went straight over. And when I got into the room, she told us, she's like, my dad just, my dad is dead and mom is clinging on for dear life. And I just remember in that moment, and this might sound morbid, <laughs> but I remember thanking God. I remember thanking God, God, thank you for allowing me to go through the trial of losing my mom so I know exactly what this person needs. And I was able to just sit and hold her and let her cry and not even say a word, but our hearts connected. Your trials aren't just for you but they are meant for someone else down the road that God will bring across your path because he never wastes an opportunity. He never wastes an opportunity. The Bible says that he turns everything around for good for those that love him. And when we can't see the goodness even in that situation, we hold on to the hope that one day we will. Number two, I'm supposed to read you this story about Bill Gates. I'm not going to. <laughs> Number two, loss leads to gain. Y'all can tell him that. Some of you can text him. She's wrecking your notes. Number two, loss leads to gain. Oh, I was supposed to read it because there was a key phrase. I'll just tell you the key phrase <laughs> from Paul Allen. And it says, it was seminal in preparing us to make Microsoft first. Okay, I have to go back. Darn it, Bill Gates, first business failed. <laughs> yes, the richest person in the whole world couldn't make any money at first. Gates' first company, for his first company, Traf Odata, a device which could read traffic tapes and process the data, failed miserably when Gates and his partner, Paul Allen, tried to sell it. The product wouldn't even work. And Gates and Allen didn't let, the, let that stop them from trying again. Here's how Allen explained how the future helped. Oh, you are so kind. I love you. 
I shouldn't do that because I know me. Last week, were y'all here last Saturday night when I was doing the hosting and gum spat out of my mouth? (sighs) All right. Even though Trafo Data wasn't a roaring success, it was instrumental in preparing them to make Microsoft's first product a couple of years later. So he went on to say that it was seminal in, I don't even know what that word means, in preparing us to make Microsoft's first product a couple of years later. I'm assuming that means it was a good thing that they went through that loss because it helped them know. I don't know. Loss leads to gain. The thing you feel you're losing right now in life is actually going to be the catalyst for your growth. Change and breakthrough are in the days ahead. Amen? That's a good point, Jay. Imagine Gates and Allen launching the trial Trafo data today in the social media age. Imagine all the cheap seat haters and and know-it-alls chirping while hidden behind their screens. My guess is, just like the successful people of today who are too busy trying to overcome obstacles, push through their failures, getting up and moving on every time they're knocked down, Gates and Allen would never had any clue about the online haters. Just like today's successful people don't bother to listen to their critics. Successful people keep going. Keep going. Right? Keep going. Don't settle in your hurt, in your disappointment, in your trial, in the bad things that are happening. Keep going going. In the words of Dory, just keep swimming, just keep swimming. Goodness gracious. (laughs) Just keep going. Christ knew what was to come, and yet he kept going. In the garden of Gethsemane, he's crying out, if there's another way, God, take it. Give me another way out. And finally says, not my will, but yours. Because he knew beyond the pain, beyond the trial, beyond the suffering would be reconciliation for all people for all time. And so he decided to keep going. When he was arrested, he kept going. When he stood in front of the judge, he kept going. When he was whipped to the point where it says his back was like a plowed field. He kept going. When his beard was ripped from his face, he kept going. When he had to lug that cross so far and along the way wanted to stop, he kept going. The nails, the crown of thorns, the spear in the side, the gall, he kept going because he knew in the end the outcome would be far greater than his suffering. Beyond what you see, as you keep going, there is victory you can't even imagine. So keep going. Romans 8. Uh, oh, here's a, good, here's a good thing. It says, destiny is revealed in seasons of confrontation rather than seasons of comfort. Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for good for those who love God. We already talked about that here. The word everything, guess what it means? 
everything, all, the whole, every part that applies. And it gives sense to the whole picture and not just that little piece, not just that fragment of time, but as you go through those trials and tribulations, it's for the whole picture. Just like a puzzle piece or a tapestry, there's so many little pieces and you can't tell the meaning of that piece until it's added to the big picture. Sometimes we can't tell what that struggle or that pain is until it's added to the big picture of our lives. And then that picture, that little piece, adds so much beauty. I have tons of puzzles. I'm a puzzle kind of girl. And I have a certain set at Christmas time that I'll do. And they're Disney ones, so me and the kids can do them. And they're really cute and they're really fun. But because the kids do them with me, many pieces have gone missing And I'm telling you, I was so frustrated this year because I'm like, this picture is not complete. I can't handle it. It doesn't look good anymore. And I threw them out. We'll have to get new ones. (laughs) But the point is this. With that one piece missing, the picture was incomplete. It wasn't beautiful in my sight anymore. (laughs) Just like with some of our trials and tribulations, the hardships, the things that go wrong, the disappointments, the things you wish never happened. Believe it or not, it's a piece of the puzzle to your life that adds a beautiful picture all in the end. So don't stop and say, well, this sucks. It's all all glory to God. It's part of the masterpiece of who he's creating me to be. Do you know that potters, when they're working the clay, They work it, and it's starting to look really great. And then they push it back down again. And they form, and they form, and they form, and they push it back down again. Because they'll see almost like the slightest little, they can feel it, the slightest little imperfection. And they'll destroy the whole thing in order to get it right. So when that pushing comes, don't worry. It's just God perfecting who you are. Thomas Edison I don't know why he's got these guys in here. I think it's the point of keep going. <laughs> Although the exact number of tries has been, debate, has been debated, the number ranges from 1,000 attempts to 10,000 attempts. And it's safe to say Edison tried and failed a whole lot before he successfully created the beacon of light. His response to his repeated failure was, I have not failed. I have just found 10,000 ways they won't work. We need to have that mindset for our lives. When we go through something, it might be God working something in us, or maybe we are doing something wrong. Like, okay, figure that out. That's not God's plan. Okay, let's just keep going. But the point is, keep going. Number three, don't quit. Number three, don't quit. Your past does not define your future. Think back for a minute to your very worst moments. Maybe the things that you're most ashamed of, maybe the things that were the biggest failures or the biggest disappointments. And guess what? The cross covers them. Think back to your worst mistakes. You're not finished. By God's grace, he is perfecting you. And as he forgives you, you should forgive yourself. You are an overcomer. 
you're more than a conqueror. And the days ahead are brighter than your days that have passed. There is more for you. There is more for your marriage. There is more for your kids. There is more for your relationships. There is more for your health. There is more for your ministry. There is more for your passions and giftings. And there is more for your future. There is more. So tonight, the message is don't get stuck here or back there. You're meant to push. You're meant to persevere. You're meant to overcome. Because just on the other side of your disappointment and your pain, there are people that are waiting for you, just like people were waiting for Billy Graham, just like people were waiting for Mother Teresa. There are people that are waiting for you just beyond the border of that pain so that you can offer hope to them, so that you can tell them how good God is, so that you can show them how strong and mighty God is because he was able to come through for you. So don't settle because there's more. There is more. I almost fell. There is more. Amen? Guys, I truly believe in my heart that this next year we are going to experience more of the power of God. I believe we're going to begin to see healings take place. I believe we're going to see people come into a relationship with Jesus more than we ever have. I believe there's people here that have giftings and dreams that they have put on the shelf. And God is going to awaken them this year. Because there is more for our church to do in our city. I am not content with where we are. God has more for us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. You are good, Lord. You are good, God. Father, we thank you that no matter what is going on, it doesn't matter the trials or the disappointments, the hurt or the pain that we are facing now. We know that in the days to come, breakthrough lies ahead. And we will keep our eyes fixed to that day. And we will allow you to work in us and through us. Lord, we embrace these moments of hardship because we know that they are simply moments. And just like every season comes and goes, this season of pain and hardship and disappointment will go as well. And what will be left is what you have worked in us for the benefit of other people. Thank you, Jesus, that there is purpose in our pain, that you offer us hope, that you offer us comfort because you have more for us. As we keep our eyes closed, I just want to ask if there's anybody here tonight that maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you've never prayed to ask Jesus to come and be Lord of your life, to come and live with you and be a part of your life. But as you're sitting there tonight, you're hearing like almost like a resounding gong, like the pain, the pain, the pain, the hardship, the hardship, the hardship. Because that's what you're living in right now. 
But when you hear that there's more for you, that there's more just beyond that pain, that there's more found in Jesus. If you're here tonight and you say, I need Jesus. I need the comfort he can offer. I need that radical change that he can bring in my life. If you're here tonight and that's you, whether you want to do this for the first time or maybe you've made that decision to serve Jesus, but you know, you've walked away and you know you need to come back. If that's you, can you just put your hand up so boldly tonight? Say, yeah, that's me. I need this relationship with Jesus.